Good morning. I'm glad that each of you are able to be with us this morning as we take a look into God's Word, both uh, those from near and far. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 13 this morning, as was mentioned earlier, we are in a series where we are looking at the parables of the Lord Jesus, and um, we find ourselves now in Luke 13, and so... uh, uh, I think what I will do is, first of all, just read the verses we plan to consider at length this morning. That's uh, the first nine verses in particular. And then we'll just kind of uh, uh, recap on how we got to where we are and and how to look at parables in particular. Especially since this evening we plan to begin again our small groups and have some discussion amongst ourselves and try to be as practical as we can be and get as much out of them as possible be good to have that overall perspective to to do that with. This morning we'll begin at Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Luke 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's look to him in prayer, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for the privilege of having your word before us. We were not there to see the Lord himself in person to present these words, but you have uh, given it to other men to record them so that we could enter into the scenarios where our Savior walked and taught and did the miracles that he did while he was here and ultimately to give his life a ransom for us. And Lord, you've recorded these things because you have not just history to record for us, but words to encourage and challenge and exhort and warn and comfort us. And so, Lord, we just ask that as today we look back into these words, that you indeed would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would prepare our hearts to be receptive to these words, that you would show us how to apply them in our own day today. Lord, we just thank you again for the freedom we have in this country to speak openly and freely the word of God without fear of being arrested or persecuted. And so we would even just ask you in your grace to protect and help our brothers and sisters in Christ who are indeed suffering for his name's sake right now in other places around this world. And we pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to also follow you as you show us to do today, as we look into your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know how many of you may have caught or 
missed our introduction into parables, but I feel like it would be important for us to just talk a little bit about what a parable is and why they're so important. Because uh, it is a, a style of teaching that our Lord used, uh, but it's different than what he had largely been using before this, right? And so the word itself, a parable, as we saw here in, in the passage, it says, Jesus also spoke this parable. The Greek word for parable literally is para, balo, para, alongside, and balo, to throw, like we throw a ball, right? So uh, uh, Jesus would cast out this story that everyone could relate to. Some people say a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and that's the idea. As Jesus would tell these stories, he wasn't just telling a story, but there was a spiritual truth that was riding right alongside those stories that he wanted people to take away. But why would he use these parables? Because sometimes the parables can be hard to understand. And I know for myself, for years, I was frustrated by the parables. I didn't get a whole lot out of them. And then the Lord kind of showed me why one day as I was reading. And so if we'll just take a little detour back to, to uh, Matthew 13, I think that would be helpful to us. So you can keep your place here in Luke 13. We'll be back shortly. But we see as Jesus was teaching and doing miracles that the religious leaders of his day were not receptive of him or his ministry. There was a bit of jealousy going on that the masses were attracted to him. They didn't like the place that he was taking amongst the people. And so they began actually right before Matthew 13 to accuse him of casting out demons and doing his miracles, not by the Holy Spirit of God, which is what the scriptures reveal to us. Yes, the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus along with him to do these miracles. But they began to say that it was by Beelzebub, by Satan himself that he was casting out these demons. And so they began to accuse him and the Holy Spirit of being a satanic entity. And this was a great turning point. They had basically hardened their hearts against the Lord Jesus. And it says, uh, as we read last week, Luke chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, at the end of chapter 11 says that they were lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something he might say so that they might accuse him. So you can imagine as Jesus went around teaching that the kingdom of God is coming and this is what the kingdom of God is like and this is the demands that God has on you as, as his creation and, and we, need, we have to give account to him and so prepare our hearts that he might come in. They have now decided that they were going to try to trap him in his words. And it's at that point that Matthew 13 tells us he began to teach in parables. And so his disciples themselves asked him, why are you teaching to them in parables? They could notice the change. And here he says in Matthew 13, going all the way back to Isaiah, the prophet, when God called Isaiah to preach to the people, he was preaching to a people whose hearts were hard. And God was telling him in advance, not many people are going to listen to you. But he said, I want you to go anyway, and I want you to teach. And here's what he says, and this is verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 13. In them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Did you catch it there, right in the middle? He says, I'm teaching these parables so that as they hear, they won't really hear. As they see, they won't really be perceiving because it says their ears 
Well, their eyes, they have closed so that they should not see. They closed their eyes and their ears and their hearts to the Lord. And so as they were sitting, waiting for something to twist his words to catch him in it, the Lord began to tell these stories. And it frustrated them. Because as he told a story, for example, about this man who had a field and he went out and scattered seed in the soil and some grew and produced fruit and some were carried away by the birds and some were choked by the weeds. How are they going to argue with that? Hey, we all know that's true. We see it in the, in the garden every day. And so there was no words to trap him in. But the Lord Jesus would end many of his parables by saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he even gave a warning, and I, 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 I almost want to apologize for the scattered uh, uh, places these thoughts are coming from, but uh, some of these stories are repeated in the various gospel writers. But Mark in particular said this in Mark 4.24, Take heed, quoting Jesus, Jesus said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Why do I bring that up to you? Because I was frustrated for years myself reading the parables and felt like I wasn't getting much out of them. But the Lord said there in Mark 4, to the measure that you put into them is what you will get out of them. And I hadn't really put much into them. And so I didn't get much out of them. And that's exactly what was going on in in Jesus' day. The religious leaders who didn't really care to hear what Jesus had to say to understand, they got nothing out of it. And they couldn't accuse him and trap him in his words because it was just a story. Ah, but when his disciples came and said, can you tell us a little bit more about what was happening in this parable? Ah, they were engaging into the lesson, into the story. And the Lord would open their ears and their hearts to understand. And so I want to encourage you as we go through not just the parable tonight in our small groups, as we go into the ones that are coming the weeks ahead, can I just encourage you to put something into it? Don't just come to hear the story, but as much as you put into it, the Lord will give you. And he told these stories for a reason, right? We're going to come back now to Luke chapter 13. And we see here, that Jesus chose in this situation to tell this parable. So now we can say, well, okay, the reason he's using parables is because he had some who wanted to understand and the story itself would impart the the truths to his followers. There were some who didn't care to understand. They would get nothing out of it. That's a general purpose for telling the parables. But this one in particular, why did he tell it? What was his point? What was he trying to say? Well... That's where we have to look around the parable and say, okay, who was he speaking to? What was going on? Because some of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense without understanding the context, the surrounding for why he told the story. So while you're here in Luke 13, it says, notice verse one, there were present at that season, some who told him about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. It says, Jesus was doing this traveling, slowly making his way back towards Jerusalem. And while he was speaking in this season, 
Some of the people who were around him said, hey, Lord, did you hear about what happened to the Galileans? They're relating this story of an event that happened that they expected him to have a response to. What does it mean at that season? What season was it? Well, guess what? We got to back up a few more verses again. So here we are in Luke 12. And notice what it says. Verse 54. Then Jesus also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go to your adversary, to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you've paid the very last mite. So the Lord looked out at this people and he said, listen, you have a problem. You're not discerning the time, the day in which you live. The condition that you're living in right now, you're completely ignoring the spiritual condition. Here you can look at the world around you. You can talk about all kinds of things from day to day life. You can even predict the weather by looking at the sky. But on the spiritual horizon, you're missing it. And he talked about judgment. He's saying, listen, there's good, at times you find yourself in, in a conflict with someone and, and your adversary is, is wanting to drag you into court to bring you before the judge. But he says, listen, make every effort before you get to the judge to be ready to solve this dispute so that you don't have to fear standing before that judge. Because when judgment comes, it's going to be just. And the people of that time were, were, were being influenced by the religious leaders. There were some that were now turning away from Christ, following their leadership, because they were being led by the blind spiritual guides who had rejected Christ. And now, he said, you're missing the signs of the times in which you live. He was warning them. And somehow this idea of judgment and... Tragedy coming upon these ones who were brought before the judge is the context that this story comes out of. Now, granted, the the Bible doesn't tell any more about this situation, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with those at the sacrifices. Uh, The more you read, the more ideas you'll find as possibilities as to what what scenario is being referred to. Some uh, have suggested a few, which. Makes some sense. Um, there was a time when when Pilate decided, as he took uh, uh, he took over Jerusalem, to bring some royal insignias of Rome into the city, and the Jews were in an uproar. And uh, so he threatened to kill them all, and realized that they were going to not just call him on his bluff; they were willing to die. And so he eventually moved them to another city in Caesarea. But the hostilities continued. They were really upset with him. And uh, at a later time, he ended up appropriating some money from the temple treasury to finance an aqueduct. And um, a large crowd of people who uh, were angry in protest were there in the temple area. And so Pilate evidently had uh, 
some of his soldiers dressed in civilian clothes and went out amongst the people and slew a lot of them. Um, there were uh, a number of these types of scenarios that happened, and, and there was this, this real tension between Pilate and the people, which you can understand then when Jesus comes before him later, why he's so touchy about the response of the Jews. But the bottom line is this. He was doing a lot of wicked things. We don't know the exact scenario being referred to, but they brought this up. And, and, and Jesus responds to them in a very strange way. He, he says in verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, that seemed like a strange story to respond with. Um, but it revealed something. Okay, not only were they missing the season that they were in, not understanding that in turning away from Christ, they were really uh, preparing themselves for judgment to be guilty, but they had some wrong thinking in addition to that. Somehow, in relaying the story about the Galileans, it seems that they were saying, you know, yeah, those Galileans, they, they sure weren't ready. They, they got what was coming to them, didn't they? The, the, their judgment came. They're dead and gone. And Jesus said, listen, okay, before you just decide to prescribe for everyone else their own guilt, you need yourselves to repent. You need to repent or you will all likewise perish. You know, Even the disciples were deceived by this kind of thinking, right? Do you remember the story in John chapter 9 where uh, Jesus healed this man that had been born blind? He met him, and this man, for all of his life, he had been born blind, never seen a day in his life, and the Lord healed him. And uh, 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 it created quite an uproar. The religious leaders, once again, were against him, but the disciples themselves asked the Lord that day. They said, Lord... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, the Lord said, well, neither. Neither. God was doing something through this man's blindness to bring glory to him so that this day I could give him sight and people could see the power, the majesty, the love, the compassion, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to meet us in our place of deepest need. Unfixable problems he was able to fix of course the biggest problem that we have is our sin and the lord desires to bring forgiveness and healing from the penalty of our sin from its power in our lives its ultimate presence in our lives and yet um, we have to have the right attitude towards sin and towards our situations to be able to turn to him And, and, and so the disciples that day were thinking listen this difficulty, this tragedy, this man's suffering was a result of his own sin or his parents' sin or whose was it? But you know, we have other examples in the Bible where suffering and difficulty of Lord's people is not because of our own sin, right? Many of them are. But look at Joseph. Joseph, back when he was sold into Potiphar's house, he was a faithful servant, rose to the top. And, and when, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he was faithful to the Lord. 
He withstood all of the temptation, and yet he found himself thrown wrongly into prison. Was it his fault? No. The Bible clearly tells us he, he, was, he was doing the right thing and suffered for it. How about Job? Job didn't all that was, know all that was going on behind the scenes, but we get the pages of Scripture opening the, the heavenlies before us, and we see that Satan had come along and given a challenge to the Lord. Yeah, this man is righteous, but that's just because you've blessed him so much. Let me touch his life and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord allowed it. And here come Job's friends wanting to comfort him in his tragedy. And ultimately, they all kind of gang up on him and say, you must have done something, Job. Listen, God judges sin and you're suffering badly, so you must have done something really bad. And I find that I myself I'm tempted to think this way. We hear about someone who's come into some tragedy and rather than simply having compassion, we may think, oh boy, even in our prayers for them or, or when we think about them, we, we think that there must be some reason that, that, that this has happened to them and, and, and consider that somehow they're at fault or they've done something. And, and Satan wants us to think that way, right? But the Lord... And the man in John 9 said, no, it's not because of sin. Not always. We need to be careful. But see, Satan is so busy trying to create in us this idea that if we could just be good, we'll escape God's judgment. That's why most people, if you ask them how they're going to get to heaven, that's what they'll tell you. Oh, if I, I, I'm doing the best I can. Because bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And I'm hoping that my good will outweigh my bad and God will let me in. But the Lord says, no, 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 no. Unless you repent, unless you change your thinking about yourself and, and, and how the Lord's ways work, you're going to perish too. And not just physical death. The idea of perishing to God is to be destroyed. And this is the judgment that we all deserve for all of our sinfulness. Listen, yes, if we compare ourselves one with another, there are ways in which we can, we can look pretty good compared to one another. But listen, we're talking about God's standard. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And... and None of us could stand in our own merit before God. And so these ones who thought, huh, man, yeah, got to be ready for judgment. But those, those Galileans, phew, they really got what was coming to them. The Lord said, no, listen, unless you repent, you too will perish. Same is true. He brings up another unrelated scenario. The Lord brings it up. How about those 18 on whom the, tire in, the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? No. Bad things are going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So understanding where we are before God, judging and discerning our time was a problem in their day and it's a problem in our day. And so to help them understand the point, he says, okay, I got a story for you. Here's his parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now, he says he has a vineyard and yet we're dealing with a fig tree. And um, I, I understand from some of my reading that this was common 
at, let's say, in some of the corners maybe in various places where there was room left over in the vineyard that they would plant things like a fig tree. I'm not sure whether it was shade for some of the plants or whether it was just a way of using up the, the most space possible, but they would have fig trees in their vineyards alongside the, the grapevines and whatever else they were growing. And this man had one. And he had come these three years looking for fruit on it and found none. And he was frustrated by this. So he goes to the keeper of his vineyard and he says, listen, three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I got absolutely nothing. Cut it down. Why is it wasting the soil and the nutrients in the soil and all the time that I'm trying to take care of it, just get rid of it. Now, I had to ask myself a couple questions. Is that a reasonable response? You know, I have trees in my yard. And some of them are fruit trees. Mango, avocado. Um, and, you know, for years I waited for some... I waited for some mangoes on a tree in our old yard and it never produced any until the year we sold and moved. And it was kind of just frustrating, right? But, but I didn't go cut the tree down. Uh, is this an extreme response or, uh, from this man after three years to want to cut down his tree? But then I had to think about this for a minute. Listen, he's not just at his house casually having some plants there. He's got a vineyard because he's trying to make a living. He's depending upon production from the things in his vineyard And so he comes expecting to see some results from the time and efforts he's put in to that tree. And now, year after year, when it should have been producing, he has gotten absolutely nothing. And so he's had enough. He says, cut it down. Cut it down. He has every right to. And you know... I have to back up and say, okay, Jesus is telling a parable. This is an everyday scenario of a man who has a vineyard and he's coming looking for fruit, expecting to find it, and it's producing none. What is Jesus' spiritual point that he's trying to make? He's talking to the people of Israel. And he wants them to see you're missing the time that you're living in. I have been laboring amongst you for three years, teaching doing miracles, revealing to you the kingdom of God is at hand and you are absolutely missing it. You're not responding. You've closed your eyes. The very expectation of God is that they would see who He is and turn to Him for forgiveness. They were refusing to do. And would God tolerate it forever? No. Just like the farmer would not tolerate it forever. God says there's coming an end to this waiting and looking for the fruit. And so cut it down. But praise God. He comes. Who's he speaking to? He says he comes to the keeper of the vineyard and he explains the whole scenario. Look, too long, three years I've been coming here and find no fruit at all. It's wasting my efforts. But the keeper says to him, sir, Give it a little more time. Give me another chance. Let me give it some special care to, to fertilize it and dig around it and, and, and do what my father-in-law did. He took a nail and spiked the mango tree. That's when it finally produced the fruit, right? Um, I heard one lady went out and actually told her tree, you got one more year and you're coming down. And it bore fruit. I don't know if you need to go talk to the trees in your yard, but um, it actually, that, that's, that's a true story. Um, 
But imagine this story without the keeper of the vineyard. That would have been the end. Sorry, your day's here. Done. You've rejected me. Done. Cut him down. But the Lord was not done working with his people. Here was Jesus. He was still going to continue teaching. He was still going to go along, but he was actually appealing to the people. Listen, there's still time. There's still time to turn to the Lord. There's still time to find his mercy. He's a merciful God, not desiring that any should perish at all, but that all should come to repentance. That all should come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the heart of God. But God's time is limited. We don't know the days that we have. Israel didn't realize the days that they had. So he said, give it a little bit more time. And if it bears fruit, great. If not, then you can cut it down. So Israel in that day, listen, as a nation, they did. They rejected the Lord. They put him on the cross. They refused to have him as their king. We will not have this man to reign over us. And you know what Jesus said when they were coming in to Jerusalem? His final week, I think it's Luke 19 who says it, yeah. As he Jesus entered Jerusalem, the week he was going to be crucified. It says, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and clothe close you in on every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus said, listen, I'm still extending mercy, but the day's going to come if you reject me that this very city will be torn down, destroyed, and you will perish. You did not know the time of your visitation. They missed it. But you know, as a nation they missed it, but individuals. They were individuals of that day that turned to the Lord Jesus. The apostles were some, and it began to spread all the way down the ages to us today. Praise God, there's always been a remnant who will turn to the Lord Jesus. And maybe you're here today if you've never turned to the Lord. You never put your trust in Him. It's not too late for you. You're still alive and breathing. You can turn to the Lord today. That's the message the Lord wanted them to hear, but it's the message he wants us to hear as individuals today too, right? The sinners in the world uh, are still mixed up as to how the spiritual ways of God work, how we can receive his forgiveness and his mercy. They need repentance for that. But I would suggest to you that even we who are in the church need a warning like this. Because in John chapter 15, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it is attached and abiding in the vine, neither will you as a follower of Christ bear the fruit that God desires to see in your life unless you are staying connected day by day to the Lord Jesus. Spiritual fruit is produced by his spirit in us, but we need to cooperate with him in this work. And so the Lord would say to us as his people, where's the fruit? Perhaps it's the fruit of the Spirit. I have a friend who is a missionary kid. And for a number of reasons, his family 
ended up coming off the mission field. It's a sad thing to realize how, how often those who go out to serve the Lord find difficulties and frustration that sends them back in spite of their desire to serve the Lord and make a difference there. But I remember him saying his mom had been looking at her life and had begun crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I don't see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I need the fruit of the Spirit. And she developed cancer. It almost had her leg amputated and spent the rest of her life with health problems. But that was the turning point for her. She realized that the Lord was looking for this fruit in her life, and it wasn't there. And so rather than waiting for for the Lord to judge her, she cried out for it. But it took some tragedies. It took some pruning. That's the part of John 15 I don't like. It says when the Lord does see some fruit, he wants to see an abundant crop, and so there's some pruning. He may bring along some things to try to guide us in this process, things that we may not in themselves like. There's other fruits that the Lord is looking for, the fruit of our lips the Bible talks about. If the Lord were to be looking for fruit from my mouth and your mouth, in, in, in our daily experience, what would he find? The fruit of praise to his name? The fruit of grumbling about the difficulties that we have? Slandering those around us, perhaps even brothers and sisters in Christ? Thankfulness? What would the Lord see from our lips? The Bible speaks of other fruit. There's the fruit of wisdom in Proverbs 8. There's the fruit of our hands as we labor. Is God able to produce abundance from our efforts day in and day out from the work that we do? In uh, Jeremiah, it talks about the fruit of their thoughts. And there's the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of eternal life, the fruit unto holiness. And uh, what will the Lord find if he came to us as his people and saying, all the efforts that I put into your life, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And yet, the daily care that he gives us, would he be pleased with what he sees in our daily lives? Whatever the answer is to that question, the Lord would say to us here not to be discouraged, but to recognize he is a God of mercy. The keeper of the vineyard is still working. And he says, give, give me a little bit more time. Let me do a little fertilizing and cultivating with this this fig tree so that it can produce that fruit that you're looking for. And that's the cry of the Holy Spirit to you and to me today. Is to say, listen, as we look at our lives, knowing that God desires to see that fruit, Jesus would say in John 15, by this is my Father glorified that you produce much fruit. And as we abide in Him, He will. And so, if it bears fruit, well, not we need to look out because the lord loves us as his children he desires it's our for our own good that we produce this fruit 
but um, we must cooperate with him. Now, our passage for today really ends at verse 9 officially. But I got to say, the next passage was also very encouraging and challenging to me. And so I'd like to just take a look a little bit at the scenario that follows. Can we do that together? Notice in verse 10, it says that at this time, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. That must have been so refreshing for him. The response that he would like to see from the one whom he had healed, she glorified God. But that wasn't the only response of the day. But the ruler, verse 14 of the synagogue, answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Not sure what he would have done to make that healing happen with the Lord not there. Uh, But anyways, then the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his own ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? And so ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Just a few notes about this that that I found encouraging and challenging. Number one, Yes, she was going through a difficult time. After 18 years, she was still coming to the synagogue to learn from the word of God. Wasn't discouraged, but she still longed for that healing. But the Lord saw her need and in his mercy healed her that day. He loosed her from what? It says not just the physical infirmity, but Satan had bound her for 18 years and he released her from it. Satan is at work today. He's, con- he's called the accuser of the brethren. He whisp- he, he's the father of lies and he whispers all kinds of deceitful things in our ears to discourage us, to cause us to think wrongly about ourselves, to cause us wrongly to think about one another, to cause us wrongly to think about God. Even in the garden, he was busy doing that and they bought into his lies and so we got to be on, uh, on guard. And the Lord reminded me very personally, there are people around me who are suffering, who are being uh, uh, hindered and tripped up and, and struggling with the works of the devil in their life. It doesn't say that this woman was in this condition because of sin that she had done, but Satan had bound her. Satan had bound her and she was suffering under that. And the Lord Jesus desired to set her free. And we ought to do what we can to follow the Lord's leading to help one another be set free, but also to pray that the Lord would set our brothers and sisters free from the trials that they are going through because the work of the enemy. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Whether that's yourself, sometimes I say to myself, Dave, you're your worst enemy. Well, you know what? I'm not. I might give myself plenty of problems, but the Lord says our real problem is that We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The spiritual forces of darkness are active. 
and we need to be praying for one another. We need to not judge one another for the problems we're going through. We need, we need to seek to, to see Satan overcome because greater is he, is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And praise God, the judgment is not yet upon us. The Lord is looking for fruit. Will he find what he's looking for? By God's grace, I pray that he will and that we will allow him to show us where we are failing so that we can turn to him and he can free us and produce in us the fruit that he longs to see. You know, the story was mentioned earlier this morning about how Jesus said to that woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Such merciful, gracious words he gave her, but the only way he could do it was because he knew that he would ultimately pay for that sin when he would yield himself to the cross to be nailed there to pay for it. The Bible says that whoever comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. And that goes for sinner or saint. If there's something in your heart today the Lord's been dealing with you on, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So are you cleansed today? You can be. And if you would like one of us to pray with you, to lift you up before the Lord, we would count it a privilege to either introduce you to our Savior or help you in your process of of getting right with God as His child once again today. Let's pray. Father, Father, this is a passage that um, it's not one of those that we get excited about thinking of judgment and fruitlessness. But yet, Lord, what we see is the mercy that you have toward us as sinners who don't deserve your grace, but you desire to shower it upon us. But but you're waiting for us. You're waiting for us to, to turn to you. And Father, forgive me for the times that I go off on my own way. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned every one of us to our own way. Somehow we think that our way is better than yours. Yet it always leads us to troubles. It always leads us to emptiness. And what you long for is to fill us to overflowing with your own power, your own spirit to produce the fruit in us that you desire to see. First of all, Lord, our salvation. We thank you for making it possible for us to have our sin forgiven, that we might truly be yours and know that that you can rejoice to have us in that vineyard. And, uh, And Lord, We want to produce fruit for you. Would you help us to just let you do that work in us, that you might be pleased by what you see as we look more and more like the Savior himself day by day. We ask it for his honor and glory. Amen.